have come across the borders into Europe. Um, we are standing right now this morning at a train station in Warsaw, Poland in Zachodnia, our West Side Station. These people are tired, they're hungry, they're lost, they're searching for a place to go. And the Pentecostal Church of Poland and, and many other entities have come alongside to help these people. We have been purchasing sleeping bags and finding places for them to, to stay. Um, we have been um, transporting them to different houses and different churches where they're taking them in so that we'd be able to, to get them a place where they could lay down even on mats to where they could be warm during the night. And we want to thank you guys for all you're doing to help us here. Lord, we pray for Ukraine. We pray for the protection of the soldiers, the families there. And we pray for freedom to come to that country again. Yes, Lord. We lift up all the little children that are coming across the border, Lord, that you would put your angels around them, protect them and help them and, and keep them from fear, Lord Jesus, and give them peace in their hearts. We pray for the national church that is housing the Ukraine and the refugees here. We thank you for them. We thank you for the United States for partnering yes, with us to meet the needs that are yes, here all over Europe. And God, we just give you all the praise, all the glory. You're in control. Bring freedom back to this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Give it up for our missionaries in the area surrounding Ukraine. So again, thank you for your financial support. Um, we're enabling missionaries to provide the resources and the churches in, the, in Poland and, and the um, satellite countries around to be able to provide support. When we took the offering last week, it was 1.2 million refugees that has swollen now to 2 million refugees fleeing the country. And if you wanted to give to that, didn't have the opportunity, you're still welcome to do that. You can do that by uh, just letting us know, dropping a note in the offering box or however you want to do that. But thank you so much for your giving. And those of you that give monthly to missions, just to kind of take a chance to plug that, giving monthly to missions, you're enabling our missionaries to be there where they're needed. We have boots on the ground all over the world. There isn't anywhere that we don't have missionaries plugged in on the ground doing something for the work of the kingdom. All of them can't go by the name missionary, but we are doing everything we can to reach unreached people all over the globe. So thank you for your monthly support. Well, how do I do that? You give monthly and designate it to missions, and we give that to the missionaries, support them on a monthly basis so they can be on the field. So again, thank you for all you do for the kingdom of God. I believe that God has a word for us this morning from his word. How many of you believe that? Amen. So to prepare, watch this video.
glad for that promise. Let me hear your hands this morning. We're continuing our Lenten series coming up to Resurrection Sunday on the sayings of Jesus from the cross. And I'm dying to tell you something is often a figure of speech that we use, but in Jesus' case, it was literally true. As he's hanging on the cross, dying, there are some utterances that come from the cross. Some are to individuals, some are to God, but they're all recorded so that we will learn something about this crucifixion story. Jesus prayed in John chapter 11, Father, I thank you that you've heard me and I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing by, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is saying that none of his utterances, none of his public prayers, none of his public statements were accidental. They were all intentional. They were all on purpose, and they were for our benefit that we might believe. And this is true about his second utterance as well, though it's not directed to God or to us, but to one of the thieves, criminals, hanging on the cross. The Bible tells us that there were two thieves that were crucified alongside Jesus. And one of them went on a journey while hanging there. And this is just to set the stage for what Jesus said. I want you to think about the journey that one of the thieves or one of the criminals went on. He started off as a mocker. Both of them mocked Jesus. The Bible tells us in Matthew 27, in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So they are together mocking Jesus. But then something changes as they hang there. One of the thieves moved from being a mocker to being a God-fearer. Listen to what he says. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He's moved from mocking to recognizing that God is real and they're blaspheming God. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Now, I don't know how he knew that. I'm going to speculate on that in a moment. But I want you to watch the movement of faith. He starts as a mocker with the other thief. Then he moves to a God-fearer. Don't you fear God? Then he arrives at being a Christ follower when he puts his confidence in Jesus. He said one of the criminals were, were punished justly. Then he says to Jesus... Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I want you to pause for a moment because I've said, and we often say, that that was just a simple expression, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But you need to think about that a moment to understand the impact of what Jesus said. Why would he say, remember me? Unless he'd come to believe that Jesus was something more than what it appeared as he hung on the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. They're hanging there dying. But he says, remember me. What does that tell me? It tells me two things. Number one, it tells me that this thief hanging on the cross had faith in an afterlife. 
he believed there was life after this life. We are dying, and I know that's the end of our earthly pilgrimage, but I want you to remember me. And then second, when you, Messiah, come into your kingdom. That isn't just a flippant statement. That is a declaration of kingdom faith. How would he know that? I'm going to propose to you that this thief on the cross had heard of Jesus before. It's the only thing that makes sense that he'd heard his teaching, that he'd heard his preaching, he'd heard the stories. And when they were crucified together, he hurled insults thinking, this man that I've heard about is no different than any other man, and his life has caught up with him and he's being crucified. But as he watched him die, he saw something in him different than anyone else he'd ever seen. And something began to happen on the inside because in his brokenness, he was open to God. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I now believe that everything I I've heard about this Jesus is real, it's true, and he became a believer watching him die. There's something that happens in the crucible of suffering that the glory of God can shine through in glorious ways. In fact, when Jesus post-resurrection appears to his disciples, He meets with them in a room and they are terrified until what? Until he shows them his scars. I'm telling you that sometimes in the crucible of your suffering, and you, someone needs to hear this right now, in the crucible of your suffering, people will see the glory of God in ways that they will not see on the pinnacle of your prosperity. And while both is I mean, I want to live in prosperity. How about you? But I'm not going to despair in the valley of trial or temptation because in those moments, there might be somebody going through the same struggle I'm going through that will see something different than they've seen anywhere else. There's anyone in the house. And in that moment, watching him die, he moved from being a mocker to a God-fearer to remember me when you come into your kingdom. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you said you are who you said you were. I believe there is an afterlife. And I believe that you'll rule a kingdom after this. And I want to be part of that. It was an incredible theological declaration of faith. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Think about this second statement. The first one, he says, Father, forgive them. And the next statement that comes out of his mouth after praying, Father, forgive them, is an opportunity for him to see that fulfilled when the thief reaches out to him. Jesus shows us the fulfillment of the promise, Father, forgive them, and that promise is today you'll be with me in paradise. So I want us to explore that for a few moments, that little phrase. I I thought about that I told my wife early in the week when I began to pray over this and, and prep for it, I said, this was a great idea before I had to prepare it. Like, this is a great idea. And then I read it, today you'll be with me in paradise. All right, we're done. But God began to speak to me about some truths contained in that statement that maybe you've overlooked as I have overlooked that may help us on our journey to Resurrection Sunday. And the first is simply this. The truth 
is always true. The truth is always true. I was listening to podcasts, reading an article, talking about science and changes that happen in science. And those of you that are my age and are not still children, will remember in school that we were taught that, you're a rough crowd this morning, you're not even smiling. <laughs> we were taught that science was true. How many were taught that? Science deals with truth. I was a sophomore at Kennedy High School, science class that was three pods wide for our introduction. 90 students in these three pods, and the instructor, the teacher, asked this question to the class. How many of you believe, we're going to be dealing with the origin of the planet, how many of you believe that God created the world? And I wish I could tell you that I rose up in faith and said, I'm a Christ follower, and yes, I believe that. But I did no such thing. I cowered like everybody else. I sat there because I thought, I don't know what you're going to do. I'm not going to stand up on my first day of my sophomore year and get ridiculed in front of 90 other students without knowing where you're going to take this. He said, is there anyone? And I didn't respond. I didn't raise my hand at all. Sorry, students. I hope you have more guts than I had in that moment. He said, well, normally, watch this. He said, normally somebody will raise their hand. And since no one has, I'm just going to go on and tell you that we don't deal with issues of faith because issues of faith cannot be proven. We deal with facts and data that can be proven and we can prove the evolutionary story to the beginning of our planet. And I just sat there and thought, all right, I wasn't prepared to respond to that or to argue with him or debate him. I went home and uh, talked to my uh, mother about that. What should I do? And my mother was kind of in and out during that time. And she said, don't argue with him. Just put on the test the answer he wants so you can get a grade. Don't fight it there. Fight it somewhere else. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But I'll tell you that I went away from there understanding that what he was saying was not true. Truth is always true. So science that is always changing is often dealing with fiction. Watch how we have progressed in the development of evolutionary theory. Nobody believes Darwin's initial premises or the origin of species. Nobody buys that anymore. It has changed in so many ways and morphed in so many ways. And I read an article this week, the blog, the blog I was listening to said that science is a moving target. Well, if science is a moving target, then it is hypothesis at best, speculation at worst, because true is always true. Come on, someone help me this morning. If it's true today, it's true tomorrow. Truth is always true. And Jesus starts off by saying to the thief, I tell you the truth. Have you ever felt like sometimes people overemphasize they're telling the truth when they're lying? Why does he have to say, I tell you the truth? Does that mean other times he's not? 
Do I have to say, this morning I'm going to tell you the truth? In fact, I laugh at things that we say. I'll be at a meeting and someone will stand and they're going to speak and introduce their wife. And they'll say something like, this is my beautiful wife, Mary. And I want to ask, do you have others? If this is your beautiful one, is that implying there are others? Do you have a Leah? You know, do you have, hello, is there anyone in the house today? We just say things. And when someone walks up to me and says, Pastor, I want to talk to you, and I'm going to tell you the truth. Huh, what have you been telling me? There's a line from Hamlet that gets quoted in common vernacular where Hamlet turns to his mother and asks, Madam, how do you like this play? Play within a play. To which she replies, ironically, the lady, there's a whole story there, but the line is this. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. How many have heard, you, heard that said? Methinks thou dost protest too much. Has anyone heard that or am I the only one hearing that in my sleep? What does that mean? It means you're working so hard to emphasize the truth that I'm sure you're not telling me the truth. You might speculate, why did Jesus feel as though he had to emphasize the truth? Why did he say to the thief hanging there, I tell you the truth? Everything he said was truth. Why did he need to say that? Why did that need to be spoken? Is he saying, can I be honest with you? Was that it? One commentator said no. He wanted the listeners to grasp the significance of the statement they're about to hear. Because throughout his ministry, he will say, verily, verily, or truly, truly, or I tell you the truth. Why does he do that? Because in that moment, he's giving you a truth, giving us a truth that we need to not miss. What I'm about to tell you might be hard to believe, but it is true. It's used in moments when he wanted to emphasize the truth. So let's get something straight right here. Jesus doesn't tell the truth. Jesus is the truth. You can tell the truth without living the truth. Truth isn't found in the gathering of ideals or the collection of facts. Truth is relational in scriptural terms because it is found only in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you what I believe, and you don't have to accept this, but if Jesus is the way, if Jesus is the truth, if Jesus is the life, mankind is not capable of arriving at truth without having a relationship with the one who is the truth. He is the truth. Why do we wander? Why do the rules keep changing? Why do standards keep moving? Because truth for us is relative. It's a moving target. It's how I want to interpret it in the, in the moment. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The world has a darkened intellect. It has a darkened moral code. It's not able to see God in his fullness and in his glory. And I'm saying to you that you cannot enter in to experience truth in its fullness without a relationship with the one who is the truth. He is the truth. So he's declaring to this man on the cross that I'm about to tell you something that may not make sense. So here's the point I want you to get. Jesus 
is true even when circumstances say otherwise. Christians lose their way when they allow circumstances to color their perception of the truth. Think about the moment hanging on the cross. There isn't anything in the circumstances that supports Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. He is stripped naked, hanging there as a criminal, condemned not only by the Roman government, but condemned by the Jewish nation and the leaders of the religion that he's a part of. They've all condemned him. They've all said he's a liar. He's a fraud. He's a deceiver. And we're going to expose him. And they mock him by putting a sign over his head that says, King of the Jews. There isn't anything in that moment that testifies to anything other than circumstances testify that he has lied, that he is a fraud, that he isn't true. Hanging there, dying on the cross, there's no evidence that he will rise from the dead. There's no evidence that anything that he says has any substance. Is anybody hearing me right now? Now we know the end of the story, but pause in the moment. The thief hanging on the cross was willing to put his trust in the one who is the truth when circumstances said otherwise. Come on, come with me. What does that mean for us? It means that you cannot determine truth for your life or your future based on what's happening around you. The only way you can determine what is true for your life and your circumstances is what Jesus has said to you. And when Jesus gives you a word for your life or your future or your direction, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. It doesn't matter what circumstances are declaring. It doesn't matter what the leaders around you say. When Jesus says it, it's true and it will always be true in spite of the circumstances around you. I have family members that I'm praying for to come to faith in Christ. And if you look at circumstances, it says it's never going to happen. But I have a promise from him. Come on. Do you know what he said to me? He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to believe that in the midst of my storm. Come on, someone help me this morning. I'm going to believe that in the midst of my storm. I'm not going to believe that the circumstances dictate my understanding of my world uh, experience. I believe that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And when I can't see it, I believe it because if it's true, it's always true. And I trust in the one, not the one who tells the truth, but the one who is the truth. And when you're in a storm, when you're in a trial, when you're in a difficult place, excuse me for saying this, but people make stupid decisions when they quit believing the one who is the truth and start making decisions based on their circumstances. Come on. 
Jesus is saying to him, it may not look like it. How can you put your trust in a man who's hanging there dying just like you are? How can you believe that anything good is going to come out of that? And Jesus says to him, I am telling you the truth. This may not be how it is perceived by those around. There may not be anyone else who believes. But as you watch me die, I want you to remember, this is the truth that I'm telling you. You, The repentant thief does not ask for truth. I mean, he does not ask for proof. He simply believes the truth. It's in spite of what circumstances say. Second, this story tells us that spiritual life is only found in Jesus Christ. Today... You will be with me. I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me. Eternal life is about being with Jesus. Now, I'm going to go somewhere um, theologically that um, it's going to sound like I'm not answering a question, but I think answers it better. We get into all kinds of discussions. In fact, I listened to one yesterday. What is hell? Where is hell? Is there a difference between Sheol and Gehenna, the grave, and hell? Are those all different? What are the differences? Let me tell you what we need to know. If you want to parse that out, and I can discuss it with you and explain the whole eschatological implication of the difference of terms and how they're used and what the different things meant, there's only two things we really need to know. There's a place of torment, and there's a place of reward. And you're going to one of them. It doesn't matter if Sheol is the grave, if Gehenna is something else, if Hades is something else, and they moved, and I believe they did, and I can unpack all that for you, but it really doesn't matter because punishment stayed punishment wherever it moved and however it changed. And when we debate heaven, is heaven paradise? Is there, listen, wherever it moved, it was a place of blessing and joy, and here's the issue. Heaven is not about streets of gold. Heaven is not about gates of pearl. Heaven is about being with Jesus. And the old Southern Gospel song, the good music, (laughs) where Jesus is, that will be heaven for me. Today, you will be with me. So what does that tell us about eternal life? Here's what it tells us, that we need to be cultivating an intimate relationship with Jesus, that we need to be building that and growing in that, that eternal life isn't I'm gonna make it to heaven. Eternal life is I'm walking closer to him. I'm walking with him. I'm entering into fellowship with him. It's about a restored relationship with God. It's not about bliss, it's about who you're with. There's a commercial that keeps popping up on some things that I watch, and it's about our future. And as they do all this, they ask this question. At the end of life, will you regret the things you didn't buy, or will you regret the places you didn't go? Well, let me tell you this, at the end of life, you better 
you better be looking forward to a place you're going to go. And that's where Jesus is, in intimate relationship with him, in interaction with him, in responding to him. Now, I'm going to be really narrow-minded. Is that okay with you? I've been accused of being so narrow-minded I can look through a keyhole with both eyes. How narrow-minded am I? It's better than being so open-minded your brain fell out. There's only one, come on church, there's only one who can make the promise, today you will be with me. There's only one. Who was that? The one who in the beginning was the word. The one who was there when God said, let us make man. The one who left the splendors of heaven, became a man, lived among us, and journeyed to the cross for us. He is the only one. There is, neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And I've listened to religious leaders say all kinds of things. I don't want to offend anybody. But Muslims are not going to heaven. Jews are not going to heaven without the Messiah. False cults are not going to heaven however good they are. And until we're convinced that there is only one way to heaven, we will stay soft and lukewarm in our passion for the lost. It's not as though there are many ways you can get there and if you get close enough, you get in. That's not how it works. There's only one who came, died, rose from the dead, against whom there is no accusation, no conspiracy to unpack, no failure that can be leveled against him, no charges that will stick to him. He's the only one that provides that. And our only ticket out of here is through him. With him, we will be in paradise. He's the only way. When people come to the end of their journey, it's not about how good they've been or how many people um, care about them. There is no soul sleep. There is no purgatory. There is no waiting. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. When we talk about walking by faith and not by sight, what does that mean? He's saying we believe in a Jesus that we're not walking with in the physical form. So while we're in the body, we're separated from the Lord in that physical connection. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. What happens after we die? I can have that whole discussion with you. Why does the body need to be resurrected? I can have that whole discussion with you. But can we simply simplify the discussion right now and say that what Paul said is true, that what Jesus said is true? He didn't say, when I return, you'll be with me in paradise. Paul didn't say, after a period of rest, we'll be in heaven. But today, absolutely. 
absent from the body. You're going to heaven or to hell. It's one or the other. It's immediate from this life to the next. And there is a pathway through Jesus Christ that every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet has to walk through. There's one door. There's one door. And we need to believe that. You're making me uncomfortable, Pastor. I hope so. Because if this is true, it changes our perception of our response to the world. Are you saying everyone's evil? I'm saying everyone's fallen. And everybody needs a Savior. And there's only one Savior. It's Jesus Christ. Does anybody believe that this morning? Spiritual life is only found in Jesus. If he remembers you, when you die, you will be where he is. And third then, heaven, putting these together, heaven is our ultimate destination with him. Today, you will be with me in paradise. My earlier comments were not to diminish the value of heaven because those that please God in Hebrews chapter 11 had this testimony that they were looking for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker was God. That's where their focus was. That's where their heart was. They were looking for that city whose builder and maker was God. So that means then that if we are with him and walking with him, we need to see a little higher than just the end of our earthly pilgrimage. We need to put energy into making it over to the other side. What does paradise mean? And again, we get caught up theologically and people debate and argue. The word paradise means a garden, a pleasure ground, a grove, or a park. In the Old Testament, you find that it's used to describe paradise, Abraham's bosom, and torment, the place of departed spirits. It speaks of a place then of glory and joy. The Garden of Eden and paradise are used synonymously in Ezekiel 28 and 31. So what I want you to see is that when you see the word paradise, it speaks of a place where God's favor and blessing is and it's used in different ways. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, I was caught up to paradise. Someone was. He said, a man, whether in the spirit or in the flesh, I do not know. Most of us accept that that was Paul in a divine revelation, caught up to where? To paradise. He heard inexpressible things that man is not permitted to tell. Now, that's really interesting to me, and I want you to be careful when you begin to read books about people that have gone to heaven or gone to hell Someone in the New Testament went there and said, I saw things that I can't tell you about. I read a testimony today or yesterday of a man who was on the operating table and died. They worked to revive him, and he says he went to hell and saw the devil face to face and began to pray and ask God to save him. And God brought him back, and he is a Christ follower today. But I'm gonna tell you that those visions of heaven or of hell don't move me. It's what the word of God says. And the word of God tells me that we're headed to a place of paradise if we're in right relationship with him. And if we're not, we're going to a place of torment. In Revelation chapter two, verse seven, now watch this. He who has an ear to the church in Ephesus, he said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes. 
I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What did he say to the thief on the cross? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. What do those verses tell me? Paradise is the garden of God. It's the place of joy. It's the place that we enjoy our interaction with the Father. And that overcomers, people who overcome, will make it into paradise. So I want you to go back to the thief on the cross. He didn't just throw out a casual comment, remember me. But in that moment was a declaration of faith. He overcame the circumstances. He overcame his own life history. He overcame all of the challenges that others would throw his way and reached across that to grab hold of faith in Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we need to let people wrestle a little bit with their faith and coming to a place of believing because those that overcome, those that overcome will be granted the tree of life to enjoy the paradise of God. We are going from here to heaven. This world is not the end of the story. Jesus is crucified, humiliated, suffering, and that's not the end of his story. Why did Jesus say this and why was it recorded? Because the cross is about reaching lost people. And the cross is about lost people going to heaven. He is saying to us to put our focus and attention there as we approach Resurrection Sunday... Father, forgive them, and today you will be with me in paradise. That needs to burn in our hearts. Is anyone in the house this morning? That needs to be the driver, what, what moves us forward. Pastor Nathan, would you come? The thief becomes a believer while he's hanging on the cross. What an incredible story. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a little bit of time this morning. And there are two things I want us to do. If heaven is about being with him, are you with him? Are you with him? Are you walking with him? Where's your relationship today? Don't be one of those that's on the fringe trying to look in. Don't be one of those that is simply coasting along, believing you're okay because you're in church. This is a time to examine whether you be in the faith. What's happening in your life? Are you moving closer to him? And if you're not, to grab hold of that. To grab hold of it. One of the things we've been talking about on Wednesday night is that good works will not produce faith, but faith will produce good works. Are you in relationship with him? Are you walking with him? And do we believe that the truth is always true? I want every head bowed, every head closed just for a moment. I don't want this moment to pass without calling you to a moment of commitment that I feel like God dropped in my heart. 
And that's this. You're in a place where you're beginning to doubt if what you've believed is true. Circumstances have weighed down on you. You may wonder about the promise of God, why he hasn't come through, why the answer hasn't come. You've wrestled with that and you're on the precipice of doubt. And the Lord is calling you this morning to return to faith. Don't believe your circumstance. Believe what is true, because what is true is always true. With no one looking around, if you're in that place, I'm just calling you back. Would you slip up your hand and say, as God is my helper, I'm going to hold the truth. Hold your hand up. Just hold it up real quickly. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Anyone else this morning? Quickly. I'm going to believe what is true. I'm going to hold what is true. Let's stand together. I want us to take a little bit of time to worship him. And I'm gonna ask you to pray that he will rekindle in us a flame to reach lost people so that they can spend eternity in the paradise of God. Amen, let's worship him.
What a day, glorious day that will be. I shall see when I look upon his face the one who saved me by his undeserving grace but when he takes me by the hand leads me through the promised land what a day lost people so that they can go to paradise. We had a funeral here yesterday and there were a place was full just about this many on the main floor for the funeral of a young lady who passed away. Pastor Bill did a phenomenal job. But there were several at the end of the service who looked up and said, I need Jesus in my life. And I want you to pray that that seed that was sown will be watered because it doesn't matter how good or bad you are, it's not a scale, it's a relationship. And that they, will, that they will respond to that and it will change them. And to pray that on Resurrection Sunday, we will have influenced people for the purpose of the resurrection, which is new life in Christ. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your giving, for your support. Whether you do it online or drop it off physically or put it in the mail, so much appreciate your consistency and faithfulness. And God bless you for that. And let's let God melt our hearts for people that need to hear the good news. Amen. God bless you. Greet someone and be an encouragement today.